Welcome to the latest installment of The Curious Capitalist. The Curious Capitalist is a series of podcasts where we take the opportunity to not only speak to board members from the Conscious Capitalism Connecticut chapter, but also local business owners, startups and entrepreneurs from across the state of Connecticut. Welcome to The Curious Capitalist. On this edition, I'm joined by Joe Kenner, who is the president and CEO of Greyston Bakery. Joe, hello and welcome to The Curious Capitalist. Good morning, Claire. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time. Uh, Now, listen, we're going to get to know you a little bit, find out a little bit more about your business, how you choose to run your business, and we're going to talk about your amazing, amazing (laughs) brownies. Uh, which I have had the pleasure of trying, I have to admit. Uh, But to start with, let's find out a little bit more about you. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got to this point in your career? Yeah, it's quite a a circuitous route that I have taken. Uh, I I joke when people ask me about that. I always say that I'm a hybrid working for a hybrid. And and for those who don't know Grayston, uh, we are both a for-profit bakery, uh, New York State's uh, first B Corp. Um, but we also have a nonprofit entity that provides uh, workforce development and community wellness services to the community in Southwest Yonkers, New York, which is where we're located. Uh, so for me, coming here, as I said, was rather circuitous because I spent about 15 years in corporate America, uh, working for companies like Chubb and Son, which was an insurance company, Lehman Brothers, an investment bank, PepsiCo, uh, famous for Frito-Lay and obviously the name on the door, Pepsi, and uh, spent about 10 years after that in government in both elected and appointed office. And it was during my last stint in government, uh, I was the Deputy Commissioner for Social Services for Westchester County, that I met Mike Brady, who was my predecessor. Um, He was the president and CEO of Grayston at that time. And um, he was my keynote speaker at a conference that I used to organize with a group of other uh, nonprofit government leaders and community-based organizations. And uh, we developed a good relationship following his keynote. And I think it was the following year and I had asked Mike to have some of his workforce development team members come back to our conference to do a workshop. And at that time, he said, you know, um, we can do that. I'd be more than happy to help you out. But I'm also looking for a VP of programs. If you know of anybody, um, please uh, send them my way because I'd love to interview them. And I remember asking him for a job description and it took him a while to get it to me. So I just went online to see if I could find it myself. And as I was reading the job description, I remember showing it to my wife. I was like, look at this. And she's like, you could do this. <laughs> you damn right you. I could do it. <laughs> yeah, it. It was totally describing me because it was, you know, business experience, financial background, experience in government. I was like, this is a piece of cake. And I had not known much about Greaston even when we had asked Mike to be our keynote speaker, but I was fascinated by the open hiring model, Um, just fascinated by the company in general and why more people did not know anything about it was just, it was amazing to me. So to be brought in as the VP of programs at that time, which I didn't even know what that really meant, it just started this journey that I've been on now. So it's been two years. I was in the role for two years and just uh, this past April at the height of COVID and a pandemic, I was appointed president and CEO. So no pressure then, no pressure. No. <laughs> Worldwide pandemic, here's the reins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't like to be boring. We like to do things that are really exciting. So. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> 
<laughs> now, you did touch on it then. You mentioned your open hiring process. Tell me a little bit yeah. about that. Yeah, so this was a great idea that our founder, Bernie Glassman, who I, that's one of my great regrets. I never got the chance to meet Bernie. Uh, he passed away the November after I started in 2018. And uh, Bernie just... Uh, an amazing innovator, amazing pioneer that came up with this concept nearly 40 years ago, um, where he was literally how it got started was pulling people off the streets, just to you know bring them into this community of Zen Buddhist folks who were you know for earn money for themselves. They were you know baking cakes and you know they were baking. And Bernie noticed in this you know this area in particular at that time it was just the economy was bad, folks were unemployed. And Bernie saw that, you know, when we see members of our society that are not being, you know, used to their full potential, like we all lose. And he would literally pull people off the streets to bring them in. You want to work? You want to work? We can teach you some skills. Come on in and work. And fantastic. That's really how open hiring was born. So today, you know, if you do want to be a baker at our bakery in Yonkers, all that's involved is you, you put your name on a list. And on that list, it tells you what the job entails, what's required. Um, but all that's required of you is one to put your name on the list that starts the process. And, you know, when that day comes, when you get the call and you're the next person on the list, you get the job. There's no questions asked, no background checks. We don't do interviews. You know, your first day of orientation is your first day on the job, your first day earning a wage. And um, we're very proud of that model. And, you know, kudos to Bernie for just um, having that insight and that vision to start a, a model like this. And the idea is hopefully others will do this uh, in the future. Many that's, more. That's what I was going to say, isn't it? I mean, it's fantastic that Bernie first created it. It's wonderful that it's carried on. But wouldn't it be even better if other companies could take up this wonderful uh, open hire policy? I mean, it's yeah. just superb. Super. Yeah. What do you wish you'd known before you started out on that crazy career path of yours through insurance <laughs> and the Lehman Brothers to bakeries? You know, it's so funny because I, I started thinking about all the jobs that I had. And, you know, growing up, I can honestly say I did not know any of the jobs that I had or now have. I didn't know they existed. I didn't know what an underwriter was, risk manager was. Uh, certainly didn't know what a social enterprise was. And if I could counsel my younger self, I would just say, just be open and flexible, learn as much as you can. Um, I came into college and all that, you know, very with a tunnel vision. I was very focused on, I was going to major in political economy. I knew what school I was going to go to. I was going to go to business school. You know, I, I had it all figured out. You know, I had my courses picked out from, you know, freshman to senior year. And, and I just wish I'd just taken a step back and just really just learned as much as I could and not be so focused on the plan that I had or the tunnel vision that I had, but just be open to taking art history or taking more science courses and maybe traveling a little bit more than I did. Um, I did spend a year at Oxford, but I wish I'd have done more of that uh, through those years. But looking back and I see that all those experiences are actually the ones that have taught me what I know now and that lent themselves greatly to the job that I now hold. So it's all, it's, it's all as it learnings. was meant to be. Yeah, it was absolutely. all that was meant to be. Yeah. I feel exactly the same. Sometimes I think, you know, it's very easy to say, you know, I should have, but, uh, and I did a wonderful podcast not so long ago with uh, a couple of women who run a company called the Boulder company. Mm-hmm. And they're up in uh, West Hartford and they do a lot of coaching within the workplace. And they've got, um, they've got a bit of an aversion to the word should, because it comes across with such blame and regret and remorse. And in actual fact, I guess the routes that we take to where we end up are exactly where we're meant to be. So how did you first hear of and get involved with Conscious Capitalism, the Connecticut chapter? 
Yes. So Mike Brady, my predecessor, as he was leaving, he had made a connection to like Glenn McDermott of the Connecticut chapter. Uh, so he connected us probably, you know, a month or so before he left. And Glenn did a very good job of staying uh, in touch with us. And I think it was probably about a month or so ago, he reached out to us again and he actually paid us a visit to the bakery. Uh, he had a nice chance to. Yeah, you know, I bet he did. Us. Joe, oh, yeah. I bet he did. Now, there's no he, great surprise that Mr. McDermott <laughs> would, would make a field trip to a bakery, is there? There's, there's I, I'm no. not saying he did it for the brownies, but, you know, you never, no. we don't judge here. It's part of our process. <laughs> I do have to confess, he did bring home some goodies, some swag for me. Yeah, but he had a good time. He got a chance to meet, you know, our, our human resources lead, Abby. Uh, he met one of our bakers, Lee. Sarah Marcus, who's our director for the Center for Open Hiring, which is charged with replicating the model with other corporations and businesses. So uh, he spent a good a good while with us so just learning, you know, our journey, the strategy going forward and just, you know, why we all enjoy doing what we do, why we all work here and, you know, the amazing transformation that we all get to be a part of every day. So uh, that's um, how we got connected to the chapter. It's how we got connected to Glenn. And yes, he did leave um, he and his uh, video crew with uh, few packages of brownies he, he needs as, a, as a thank you <laughs> <laughs> no i certainly know that when glenn visited you he had a fantastic time and came back raving about mm-hmm. not only the brownies which is, uh, <laughs> he, he enjoyed watching me eat with great delight to see my reaction because they are quite stunning uh, but also about the things that he learned there about how the business is being run certainly the open hire policy has really sort of captured all of our imagination and i just think that is just superb So thinking about the tenets of conscious capitalism, what does it mean to you that your company has a higher purpose? What would you Mm -hmm. say it is and what language would you use to describe it? Mm-hmm. You know, and I'd probably ask the question a different way, and you'll see what I mean in a, in a second. You know, what would it mean if Greyston wasn't here in Southwest Yonkers? You know, what would it mean yeah. if over the last 40 years we have not given out, you know, the opportunity access to employment to literally hundreds of thousands of folks in this area? How much annualized income would be lost just from the bakers that we hired and, you know, the money multiplier of, of having those folks uh, working and taking care of their families and putting those dollars back into the community and our nonprofit, you know, of the jobs, of all the folks that we've trained and placed into jobs, all of that would have been lost had not Grayston been here. So it, it goes back to what conscious capital is all about and how do we use our businesses as a force for good that focusing on impact or whatever your social goals are is not done at the expense of profit it's done with profit in mind uh, and and how do we make the investments in the community that says you know we're proud to be here we're proud to be a part of it we're proud to contribute to the elevation of the community in which we operate if you go back to Bernie, uh, it was all about innovation and transformation for him. He wanted to find out. He was a problem solver, like any business person, any CEO is, you know, you're problem solvers. And you look at something and you figure out how you're going to fix it. And Bernie's objective was, you know, how do we deal with employment? How do we give people opportunity? How do we get the best out of folks? Because um, we're all made to do something on this earth. So how do we unlock that and then invest in it? And to me, that's what 
it has been about for us. And that has always been our purpose is to, you know, unlock, you know, the potential of folks. Um, we call it pathmaking, um, investing in folks uh, as they find their path in life, whether it's, you know, a baker at our bakery or whether it's someone, you know, taking a security guard course or building and trades uh, safety class in our workforce development unit. We're helping folks find their path. We're helping folks get started and we're putting them on a path of, you know, thriving in their job, thriving at home, thriving in their society, in their community. That's what it's been about for us. But, you know, you always measure yourself by, you know, what would it mean if we weren't here? And I think there would be a great loss to this area and to the folks that we've served if Greyston had not been here. I like that. I like the way you've turned that round as to, to what the loss would be. I like that a lot. So thinking about that culture and leadership within Greyston, what language would you use to describe that culture? You know, what is it? Is it, does it have a definable character? Again, I, I always go back to Bernie and his, just his style of, I mean, he was a true entrepreneur. When, if you look at our history, you know, we had the bakery, but we also had a childcare center. We also had low-income housing. Bernie was always looking for how do I solve the problem? Okay, my bakers are having a hard time getting to work because they have childcare. All right, we get a childcare center. Uh, you know, they're having problems finding housing. Okay, we're going to develop low-income housing. It's that entrepreneurial spirit. It's that idea that, you know, we can solve this. We've learned over time that we don't always have to be the ones to solve it. We can now partner with other entities. Um, we've, we recently, not recently, but probably within the last two to three years, divested of the child care center. We divested of real estate and it's a process where we continue to go through so that we can focus on what we do well, which is, you know, employment, workforce development, this, you know, radical idea of inclusive hiring and open hiring. That is our bailiwick. That is our strength. And that's what we want to focus on. But that's entrepreneurial at the same time, because it's always about reinventing. It's always about, you know, solving the problems in a different way. So not doing the child care, but having other entities that are very good at childcare and that is their expertise in childcare and partner with those entities to meet the same need that we met you know, back uh, in the early years. Um, same with housing, partnering with the companies that are very good at affordable housing and providing that resource. And that way we can take the monies that were invested in areas that probably weren't our expertise and plow those resources back into what we do very well, which is workforce development and employment. Yeah. So, you know, that entrepreneurial spirit, that, that, that ability to problem solve and to be flexible has, you know, really been a characteristic of ours and something that I want to see grow. I've been talking about doubling down on a lot of things these days, but it's like doubling down on that entrepreneurial spirit and that pursuit of excellence mm-hmm. and being pro- being problem solvers. I mean, we have to do that. I don't care which industry you're in. You have to be thinking about that. You always have to look, you know, not just what's around the corner, you know, a month from now or a year from now, but, you know, five, 10 years. I mean, this is conscious capitalism. So we're talking about how do we be sustainable over the long term? Yeah. Thinking about that culture within Greyston, how do you measure the return on that culture? Was it worth to you financially and financially terms. Yeah, let me describe it this way. So we just went through and still going through a crazy pandemic, you know, that's lasted now, you know, four months or so. We were deemed an essential business throughout this crisis. Uh, So the bakery continued to run. People continued to come to work. At that time, it was just two of us on the executive team, Richard James and myself, uh, working with our human resources team to figure out, you know, what does all of this mean? What happens if, you know, someone comes down with the virus or it sweeps through the entire bakery facility? What does that mean? How do we continue to support our number one customer, Ben & Jerry's Unilever? And we did it with a team that was previously deemed 
unemployable. And now they're essential. But not only that, because of this pandemic, because we're part of Ben and Jerry Unilever's global supply chain, folks were staying home. Folks were snacking <laughs> and folks were eating a lot of Ben and Jerry's ice cream and ordering our brownies. And the team that was once unemployable, that's now essential, was meeting that demand. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. I'm laughing because that's exactly what happened. The Ben and Jerry's came out. I was eating your brownies as well. And you're right. These unemployable people are now essential workers. Wow. That's powerful. And not only that, record production, meeting a need. Yes, there's a profit piece to that. Yes, there is a volume piece to that. But they did it. The team did it. And you know, at the same time, we were able to make sure that they were safe. We were able to make sure that, you know, and believe me, I'm, this is sounding all you know, Pollyanna and good, but, you know, there were some pretty frustrating and, you know, anxiety was high at many times. Uh, we were stressed out. Folks were uncertain. There was a lot of fear. But again, the team did it. They came to work. They were happy to be working because, you know, 20 million of our fellow citizens are not, but they were. And they were doing an excellent job and beyond excellent because, like I said, you know, in an economy where you had 20 million unemployed, uh, many businesses were shut down. Many of their neighbors were probably not working. They were coming to work and not only coming to work, but meeting record demand and getting the job done. You have to be proud of that. And what's the ROI on that? I don't know. That's but incredible. I know that met the demand. <laughs> we obviously made a nice profit during these times. But again, it goes back to that storyline of it was the unemployable that are now deemed essential that got the job done. Now, wouldn't it be great if there were other companies to the earlier point that we were talking about mm. uh, that were doing this? Maybe they have 100 jobs or 10 jobs, whatever it is. Uh, wouldn't it be great if we had other companies doing that same thing, hiring those same people that are ready to work? They want to work. But for whatever the barrier is, they can't break through and, and get you know, access to, to the opportunity to be employed. We've opened that door. So that's our contribution. I always say we don't try to solve poverty, but we, we contribute to the discussion by mm -hmm. opening the doors to employment. And we're proud of that. And we're so proud we want others to do the same thing. Yeah, it's brilliant. I love it. I absolutely love it. Who is the most important stakeholder in your company and why? Oh boy, it did. It's, <laughs> we, you know, the saying is we, you know, we don't hire people to bake brownies. We bake brownies to hire people. So the focus always comes back to our bakers. It always comes back to our clients uh, and workforce development. That's why we're here. Do Do you think your customers, you know, whether it be your end user customer or your your Ben and Jerry's of this world, are they aware of the culture that exists at Grayston? We've worked very closely with our partners at Ben and Jerry's. I mean, they have their values led hiring. Um, where they do showcase, you know, the fact that, you know, we're a part of their global supply chain. So a very close relationship with Ben and & Jerry's and we're very proud of what they're doing with values led hiring. And, you know, we're also very proud to be a part of their global supply chain. But we're working with other partners with Ben & Jerry's, whether it's, you know, Rhino Foods, another B Corp that's doing some great things in terms of opening doors for opportunity to the employees that they have in Vermont. But what I would love to see, and, and I said it earlier, is, you know, I was a deputy commissioner of social services in Westchester County that handled employment, I didn't know much about Grayston. I really didn't understand the open hiring model and all that Grayston did until I met Mike Brady and met the other members of the team. And I was like, my God, this is the best known C 
secret in Westchester <laughs> County. <laughs> like, like why, why, why is, why don't more people and like everybody should know what Grayston does? Like, yes. this is, you know, this is a, this is a shame. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. More people Absolutely. should be involved in this and, and be been partnering with us, whether it's volunteering or just getting the word out. You know, obviously you know, we have a nonprofit. We want people to donate to us, but more people should know about what we do and why we do it and, you know, figure out how they could be on the journey with us. So yes, I'm very proud of the relationship we have with Ben and Jerry's Unilever, but we want to increase the relationships <laughs> and build, you know, a wider tent so that other folks can be on this journey with us. And uh, we're going to leverage the good relationships that we have to create more. But, you know, it's my goal. You know, if you, if I look out, you know, five, 10 years from now, I, I my goal is that, you know, more people are a part of this. Um, yep. Spread the word. We've grown the family. Uh, that would be a huge accomplishment. Very much so. If just one business CEO or president or manager of a small business hears this and goes, oh, what a great idea, then the job will have been done. We'll have achieved something. Here's one for you as a CEO, <laughs> right? No, it's a bit of a left field one. So go with me on this joke. <laughs> <laughs> as a president and CEO, you've got the big mm-hmm. title, but tell me, yeah. if a company wanted to make a shift towards being more conscious, a more conscious way of working, what would your advice be? I, they've already succeeded by just asking that question. To the fact that they've even said, you know, I am thinking about whatever it is, you know, getting rid of, you know, requirements for folks to have a college degree, or we, we want to think about how do we do hiring differently. To me, that's already a win for us because you've now opened the door to the possibility. It's shown that you're being intentional about doing something different. So and true. That, so and, true, and, Joe. So and, true. And, and we call that the mind shift. I mean, and that's it because you, you really do need to have a mind shift. I mean, the human resources field, I mean, there is a tradition of interviews. There is a tradition of your resume. And for some jobs, that may be correct. I use the example, I'm not asking JP Morgan Chase to make their entire private client division open hiring, but maybe it's your front desk person or if you're a manu- manufacturer, maybe it's your distribution center. <laughs> oh, fantastic. This just but, it's, but it's having that mind shift to think about, you know, when I look at the body shop, you know, there's just some companies that they're just prime candidates for open hiring because like us, it's in their DNA. And, you know, I want to work with those companies first and foremost because they're already there and we know it works for us because we've been doing it for 40 years. But when you can see like a body shop embrace it and get the results that they had, almost two thirds of their turnover gone down, a 13% increase in productivity. If we can get more companies like that doing that and building up the data and making the business case for open hiring, then you're going to have the business roundtable type companies come to the table and say, all right, how do you guys do this? And how do you think we could do this? Yeah. And if that, that's all the mind shift that takes place, that is a win. Good enough. So come on then. When you're not focused on your work, Joe, what do you do to relax? TV, sports, <laughs> what's your thing? <laughs> you know, if it wasn't for the pandemic, my, my wife was from Brazil. We would have been in Brazil probably in the March, April Oh, time frame man. so we like we like to travel yes. um, and for yes. for me for both of us really we i hear we, you vacation involves a passport so yes. you have to leave. you yes. have to leave that is <laughs> music to, to my ears we are a family who loves to travel <laughs> and all i keep hearing is everything's cancelled we've returned to like two-year-old whining toddlers we are yeah, just well, Oh, or yeah. we don't want to go anywhere. So it's like, because you know, we were thinking, maybe we'll just go somewhere within the States, but where do we go? And do, but, do, I don't want to get on a plane. It's like, oh my God. So Sorry, uh, I'm stealing. Vacation needs a passport is now going to be my mantra. <laughs> 
It That'll doesn't... be the title of the podcast. It will. <laughs> Vacations need a passport. Nothing else counts. It's not a vacation if you don't use it. <laughs> but in this COVID world, travel is out. So I, yes. the other thing I like to do, and I do this when I travel too, I love to read. Uh, I'm a YouTube you know, podcast junkie. So I, I, that's how I unwind and kind of just, you know disconnect from everything around me. Uh, so that, that calms me down. There was a time when I used to work out every day. Those days I, I need to bring back. <laughs> I do enjoy it. <laughs> and those days I need to bring back. You and me both, you know, I've, I'm going with the angle at the moment, Joe, that how safe is it at the gym? You know, I've <laughs> yeah. actually used that as an excuse. You know, I know yeah, that yeah, they Yeah, that's it. That's a good, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, it's They've like, taped off that's every fine. other treadmill, but how safe that's, is it? <laughs> that's, that's why I haven't been in two years. <laughs> that's just too funny. Um, so talk to me about the podcast you like to listen to. What, what do you like to listen to in your spare time? Spare time means writing to work because I have a three-year-old. Um, so, uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, by the podcast I usually like to listen to in the morning, uh, Alan Murray of Fortune Magazine, he has one of Leadership Next, which is a very good podcast. Uh, Carla Harris of Morgan Stanley um, has one called Opportunity and Access that I'd love to listen to. And uh, Craig Rochelle of Global Leadership Summit. I enjoy listening to those. So you can see the dirty side of me. It's like all kinds of... I was going to say, you're you're a geek, aren't you? You, There's no escaping it. No escaping it. Okay. If you could have dinner with anybody in history, they could be alive or dead. Who would you choose? And what question would you ask them? Oh boy. Can I I do a dinner? Can I do a dinner series? Because there's a lot of people I need to talk to. You can have three. You can have a three course dinner meal. Go for it. (laughs) I I think first I, I enjoy, and I listen to a lot of different folks. So I, I, I try to keep an open mind about things. So I, I love Robert George and Cornell West of Princeton. They're both philosophy folks. I admire them both. You know, uh, Robert's from the right, Cornell's from the far left. Uh, but I love how they look at, you know, and examine life and how the political discourse, or just the discourse in general, has deteriorated. And we're not thinking <laughs> anymore. So I would love to get their thoughts on just how we unpack just where we are in society (laughs) with the whole social unrest and how we're really talking past each other, whether it's in government or in in general, we're in this uh, 140 character conversation environment, which to me is not conversation. It's just, I don't know, entertainment, but I would just love to sit down with them and just talk through how do we solve the problem of the current situation that we're in. My other group would be CEOs that I I admire. Uh, My former CEO, Indra Nui, PepsiCo, uh, Jamie Dimon, J.P. Morgan Chase, Ken Langone. I just read his book, uh, I Love Capitalism. I would love to just sit down with those guys and just talk about how can business solve some of the problems that society is struggling with. And you, know, you called me a nerd before. Uh, I actually read Jamie Dimon's annual report. I, no, 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 Joe. I called you a geek. You called geek, yourself a nerd. Geek, no, geek, nerd, whatever it is. But, but Jamie Dimon has led his letter to the shareholders, like 40 pages, but it's like this treatise of just like business policy, economic policy, social policy. I mean, he just goes through so much and it's it's really, it's a good read for folks yes. who are you know, trying to solve some of the problems. And like I said, as business leaders, I, I think he's one of you know one of the few that I, I look to that gets it and you know looks to see how his company can contribute yeah. and, and what ways they can contribute not solving every problem but how can you as a bank you as a grocery store chain as a consumer products company what can you do in the 
in the areas that you operate in the context that you find yourselves in. Yeah. I, I would just love to sit down with all of those and just have a conversation about how do we solve these problems? Absolutely. And I think it's, it's like every single drop makes up the ocean, isn't it? So if everybody mm. just does that little bit and opens their mind to how they can contribute yeah. um, so quickly, it will, it will grow. So it will be a good dinner party. <laughs> Geeky, but I'll, I'll come along if the food's good. Okay, so tell me a bit, what's been your greatest success both professionally and personally and why? Oh boy. Well, personally, I would say it's my family. Uh, your jobs will change, your titles will change, but your family is that there will always be there. So my wife, my son, you know, my parents, you know, my family, they will always be there no matter where I find myself. So personally, I think that's a success. Do they live locally? Uh, uh, pretty much. My parents are in New Jersey, uh, but oh. the family is all over uh, in terms of my wife's family. They're in Brazil. But um, again, no matter where you find yourself, they're still your family. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, I, I would say that's that's a success personally. Uh, professionally, I, you know, I, I'm still on the journey. I, I love where I am now. I Folks who know me, they always say like, you know, Grayston is perfect for you, just you know, given my background and just the journey that I've been on success i could say that you know we have a new board i have a new executive team that's the first step now it's time to get to work <laughs> you know so i i'm not going to declare victory just yet i've got to you know this part of the battle is uh finished in terms of building out a board and a team and i give kudos to my executive team that was here with rich jamesley who's going to continue to be on the team but we have new members joining uh but we now have you know new board members as well uh, so i give kudos to my board chairs at mm -hmm. the foundation and the bakery for helping me uh, reshape our board so we we are now positioned to really make some great strides in terms of doubling down on seeing the open hiring model replicated uh, seeing our workforce development programming expanded uh, and again going back to telling that story so that we're not the best known secret that's the next step in the journey yes. so that when we get there i'll declare victory um, absolutely and i we should <laughs> say that you have you you and your your board have actually managed to to date successfully navigate a worldwide pandemic as well so yeah. uh, kudos to you well done it's uh, yeah. it's not easy it's just not easy to maintain and there was no playbook for this which no. we all have to, have to acknowledge that you know again the kudos to the team that made it through all of this and we didn't have something to refer to um, we were literally making decisions day by day literally meeting like every morning 9 30 yep. we, we all get on a call and just talk about what happened the day before what's happening yeah. today how are we going to solve the problems and you know we made it through and it's kind of been quite interesting in a way. I think that for me, I, I can see more inspiration and people I hate to use the term thinking outside the box, but more and more people <laughs> are being inspirational about how they're approaching their work. And yeah. the pandemic's created that. Some really good things, bizarrely, have come out of it. And particularly for many people working from home, you know, their work-life balance is changing and they're seeing the value in that family and just so much more than spending 10, 12, hours a day traveling to work work and then returning and it's been interesting trying to pull out the gems during this pandemic but uh yeah and i would say covid's kind of exposed that i mean it kind of it did rip the band-aid off of you know the things that have been percolating you know for decades uh, you know whether it's you know the you know social unrest that we find ourselves in, yes. in regards to race but you're seeing you know health care people are looking at employment differently companies are now being taking a more holistic approach to how do i manage my my people like yes. how can i make sure that they're safe how can i make 
sure that they have the right training. Those are all things that, you know, they were forced to make. And you know what? That's a good thing. I mean, it should be. That's, that's just good business practice to think about, you know, how am I meeting my customer's demand? How am I taking care of my employees? You should just be asking those questions anyway. Yeah. But now, you know, what COVID has done is it really forced us to be innovative. Um, yeah, there's some big conversations are being had, like you said, not only around the race issue, but around our work environment, how we work, where we work. I think some really good conversations are mm-hmm. coming from this that needed to happen as well. So uh, Absolutely, absolutely. I always look for the uh, the glass is half full in this case, not half empty. <laughs> exactly, especially at a heat wave, it needs to be full. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. With brownies, with brownies. Yeah. <laughs> um, so to, to wrap up, then come on, tell me a little bit about your plans, uh, not just professionally, uh, but also mm-hmm. personally as well. What do you think, uh, Grayston, and indeed Joe, is going to be up to for the next five, maybe ten years? Continuing to do, I mean, we've off to, we've been off to a great start. Um, we've been on Squawk Box, we've been on Yahoo Finance, uh, and just telling our story and uh, seeing so many companies. We now have about thirty companies interested in open hiring and learning more about it. We did a open hiring one hundred and one cyber webinar seminar last week, and you know, hundred folks were on that call. So we want to continue to see this. We're not going to rest until more and more companies uh, adopt open hiring and embrace more inclusive hiring practices. So that is always going to be a part of the strategy, but it's really doubling down on our impact here in Southwest Yonkers um, is my goal uh, to see more people trained, to see more people get certifications that are nationally recognized, see them placed into jobs. Um, last two years, you know, we've, you know, generated about, you know, if you look at it on an annualized basis, 5 million in income of folks that have been placed in jobs at an average wage that was 25% above the New York state minimum wage. We want to see more of that continue. Uh, Again, when we're working in an environment that's 17% unemployment and, and in an environment that was already struggling during the longest economic boom of our time. So our folks have always been struggling and we want to have an impact on that. We want to change that and reverse that. And we believe you do that one job at a time. So that is what we will continue to be focused on and make those investments. And, you know, at the same time, make sure we're taking care of our people, which we're taking care of. I didn't mention it. We instituted a temporary uh, wage of $2 during the pandemic uh, for the folks that came to work every day and worked that day. Um, so they got a two dollar, you know, extra bump in their wage uh, for working. So it's nice. really it's 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 simple, you know, business one hundred and one, econ one hundred and one. Take care of your employees. Take care of your, you know, give your customers and your clients a good product or service. Uh, treat your vendors fairly, and you'll do well as a company. Very much so. Very much so. What about personally? I'm still working on that vacation and passports. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what's going to keep. <laughs> got to keep that top of mind. I'm just waiting for that moment. (laughs) So I can certainly see travel being uh, quite high on the agenda when you're allowed to fly. If you call here and I'm not answering, you know, you know what happened. He's gone. He's gone. (laughs) He found a, he found a flight. (laughs) Exactly. Listen, Joe, it's been an absolute privilege uh, to have a chat today. Uh, Tell me, how can people find out more about you, more about the company? Hit me up with the website, social media, anywhere they should look to find out more about Grayston. 
Absolutely. Just go to graceton.org. And, and I always want to direct people. You've mentioned the brownies several times now. If you go to our website, graceton.org, just drift to the top right. There's a sign to donate and there's a sign to buy a brownie. So help yourself to both. Please do. I, I <laughs> urge you. Now, I'm not one for, when I do these podcasts, I, I, I don't tend to embellish things that I don't believe in. I've got morals, <laughs> right? I'm a Brit. <laughs> I am telling you, these brownies are not normal. They are out of this world so that's have you tried say. the uh, new vegan birthday cake brownie uh yes i did my partner has um hashimoto so has like weird things that can't <laughs> be eaten apart from like air and dust um but that was a winner for me it was that blondie affair the sugar blondie i was like oh, oh brown sugar blondie is my favorite what is going on here this shouldn't taste like this it just shouldn't <laughs> but uh i really do recommend them they are absolutely stunning and i will be hitting up the website that's grayston.com Uh, Joe, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the latest instalment of The Curious Capitalist. For more information, you can visit the website, connecticut.consciouscapitalism.org.